You're about to hear my conversation with Constantine Bromer, who leads the McKenzie Fixed Income Team. We get his reflections on the year of 2023 in fixed income markets, what surprised him, what did not surprise him. We also get his highest conviction ideas going into 2024. I hope you enjoy. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Information relating to investment approaches or individual investments should not be construed as advice or endorsement. Listeners should seek professional advice for their situation. Welcome to the McKinsey Investments Podcast. My name is Matthew Schnur, and I'm delighted to be back with Constantine Bomer. Constantine is the lead of the McKinsey Fixed Income Team. Constantine, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for having me again. It's my pleasure. Uh, I thought that we'd start this conversation by sort of rewinding the clock to about this time last year. Uh, And certainly we are in the time of year where we're getting all sorts of predictions uh, about what's to come in fixed income markets. And I'm curious, uh, so first maybe start by taking us back to 2022 around this time. What were your expectations for this year and fixed income markets? And then generally, what's reality been? Yeah. So I think a lot of uh, folks were thinking 2023 will be a fantastic year for fixed income because 2022 was so bad and 21 actually also was pretty poor and just maybe a reversion to mean would suggest that this year will be a fantastic year for fixed income. And then uh, I think there's also a, a good logic here, or there was a good logic for that, because uh, yields obviously increased substantially over those poor years. So the sure. yield levels everywhere around the globe were meaningfully higher. So that means you earn a lot more, even if nothing happens. But uh, that didn't fully play out. And they were actually in, in, in the major markets, right? They actually didn't perform all that well. So if you look at whatever your US aggregate index is pretty much flat for the year, or global benchmarks are up 2%. Canadian aggregate is also in that same vicinity, 1.8% or so. So it's not that it was a, like, you cannot classify that as a good year. Sure. Uh, it's also not another horrible one. Uh, maybe it looked a little bit different just a, a month ago or so. Right. When Total performance for the year was meaningfully lower, but it it wasn't the expected blockbuster year that many had in the books for for 2023. And I think one reason for that was that the economies globally just were a lot more resilient than people expected. And in the US, right, it just kept on clipping at exceptionally high rates of GDP that led central banks to keep their hawkish tone for longer than what people expected. We had a little bit of a wobble with the SVB banking crisis in the US and in between, but by and large, things played out a little bit better from the economic side. And the same also for Canada, which was probably my biggest surprise of how, let's say, the Canadian economy proved to be so resilient. I mean, we can see cracks left and right, but by and large, it is still a very resilient economy and has been up to this point. And that just led also the Bank of Canada to uh, keep their hawkish tone and keep rates at those high levels and don't be forced into reversing the course. So I think 
for me, looking at this year, we were not bullish fixed income coming into this year. We were like, well, you know what? This looks reasonably okay. There are some pockets of real value, mm-hmm. but for the overall market, that was not a, a super bullish setup for us just yet. I think that is changing. So maybe we, we'll talk about that a little bit later of what the outlook could be or how how we look at the, the future. But there were certainly real pockets of, of value that were to be found in 2023, but the market as a whole was uh, still somewhat disappointing. That's a great uh, summary on the, the market of 2023. Sounds like uh, underperformed your expectations, but wasn't catastrophic, maybe is the, the best way of putting it. I'm curious, you did reference pockets of value uh, and opportunity. What was the most surprising segment of the fixed income market in 2023? Upside or downside? <laughs> Well, let's go with up, upside first, okay. and then we hit downside after. Okay. So upside, maybe the most surprising to me was loans, so leverage loans. And I would say that is most surprising to me because I did not expect loans to perform all that well in 2023, but they actually did. And they didn't hmm. just perform well, they performed exceptionally well. So they're, they're up uh, 11 and a quarter percent year to date. And a big chunk of that is coming from just the coupon, right? Those uh, 8% sure. of those 11 and a quarter is just the coupon. And then you had just some price appreciation also coming along. So you get to double digit returns up to this point of the year. And that was a surprise to me. It's It still is. I think there were a few reasons for this. And one of them is that things just didn't turn out for the worse, right? It is the resilience right. in the economy. And if we think about what are leveraged loans, they're right, floating instruments but of higher yielding companies. So the, in the junk segment of the market, so not the the, the prime quality of uh, investment grade or, uh, or generally developed market government bonds. So it is at the lower end of the spectrum, so higher credit risk. And coming into this year, we were uh, at least expecting some more worries around credit risk, that did not play out. And then on the other side, it was even more so that our opinion coming into this year was that especially some of the loan-only companies that have in their whole debt structure, they only have loans, right? Right. Nothing fixed. And we've seen the variable rate go up uh, dramatically in the US, also in Canada. And that means that their interest payments obviously are going up dramatically as well. If those companies were paying three, four, five percent for their loans, and all of a sudden they pay eight, nine, ten, eleven percent for those exact same loans. And if you are a pristine company that is borrowing a reasonable amount, that is not game changing. But if you are on the weaker end, of the spectrum of companies and are having more debt on their balance sheets, which is typical for for those companies, then that becomes a bigger drag on overall financial sustainability of those companies. But you know what? They actually, as I said, they did well. They performed 
uh, great. It wasn't that all they, they're firing on all cylinders, but they just didn't. They did what they had to do, service their debt, and things played out so far quite well. And that was probably my biggest surprise in terms of markets that performed even better. Uh, there are some some others, but we kind of had a, a positive view on those, so that that didn't completely surprise me. But uh, yeah, the, the loan market did exceptionally well, and that was a big surprise. Well, let's let's turn to the other side of the coin. What was the uh, biggest surprise on the downside? There are actually not all that many. I think the if I like in emerging markets, let's say there are a few markets that did really poorly, uh, okay, and some which did exceptionally well. So it is in a massively bifurcated market in terms of bad. You can still you look at the the turkeys of the world. They did, they did horrible, and you have um, right, that is probably one of the the bigger ones that that performed exceptionally bad on the downside. Otherwise, it is like everyone did kind of okay, right? It is not amazingly good. But U.S. is probably one of the worst, right? Where you say would have would it been my expectation that U.S. broad market delivers up until now, which is end of November, basically zero. I would not have expected a zero. I probably would have said, yeah, maybe two, three percent, nothing fancy, nothing great. So that is actually underperforming expectations. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, but the, the real, okay. actually, maybe if I can say one more thing on the upside, just because the numbers are so mind-blowing that I feel that I want to also add some positive feelings about fixed income and not sure. uh, just uh, continue with the negativity that uh, we've been dealing with for the past two plus years. Some of the markets that we like are in also in emerging markets and those like Brazilian bonds in local currency, Mexican bonds in local currency, those have done exceptionally well. So you're talking about 25% year to date and wow. 35% over the past year. So you've you have some real pockets of value within fixed income that delivered. Right? Obviously, forward looking, the story might be a little bit different, but there are areas in the market, in the fixed income market, that are uh, really providing strong returns, even if the overall market and the overall sentiment towards fixed income is still so negative, but it is not a story that is uniformly across all the markets within fixed income. That's a great context. Maybe maybe we'll stick with some of those themes, but move to forward-looking. So uh, in my rather naive chair that I sit in, uh, as I don't deal with these fixed income markets every day, the setup for 2024 appears quite similar to the narrative going into 2023. That is, we have much higher yields uh, right now. There's a general perception that uh, central banks uh, are likely to stop hiking rates, at least, at, uh, maybe even some rate cuts. And there's uh, increasing concerns about the resiliencies of economies. Sort of the same narrative, I think, going into to last year. Would you agree with that assessment, first of all? Uh, and second of all, what are your expectations for maybe some of those subset of uh, fixed income markets that you were speaking to earlier? Maybe on the high level, it looks quite similar, as you correctly pointed out. But I think there's a, there's a difference here. Uh, the difference that I see is that we are 
more or less finished with the rate hiking cycle. And that was not the case a year ago. Right? If we just look at the beginning of the year, we had sure. like we added another 100 basis points of hikes in the US. So there was still more hikes and expectations of uh, this continuing for some time. And it is really just the last few months maybe a couple of quarters or so where we are thinking about is that was that it are we at the end of the hiking cycle and that is the same for canada as it is for the us for europe for for a lot of the major markets that we we look at and that are important for for fixed income markets so i think that is a big difference and usually fixed income performs well once the last interest rate hike is in and that mm. is a, a, do you really know when the last one is in? You don't. Sure. But in, if you then look later at the history books and try to find patterns in in past performance of fixed income markets, that is usually the signal of when fixed income perf- starts to perform really well. And it is our expectation that we've seen the last hike in the US. We've seen the last hike in Canada in Europe. So there is a different tone to fixed income that this seems to be heading in the right direction. And then looking at uh, central bankers are one thing, but central bankers are looking at data. So they are their decision making is being informed by data. So and if we if we take a quick peek at that, what we see is a meaningful deterioration in uh, economic activity in Canada. So I'll I'll go quickly just country by country or or maybe just uh, Canada and US, but we do see a meaningful deterioration of economic activity in Canada. And that also makes logical sense because of the interest rate burden that is gradually feeding through and it must have an impact and we're starting to see that it is having an impact on um, behavior of canadians has it affected the housing market the the housing market Uh, like yes it is weaker like i'm speaking to plenty of folks who are closely engaged in that market just for informational purposes also for managing uh, our funds to get first line experience of what's going on this feels pretty bad like as in the range of comments back from is from this feels really bad to this is the worst i've ever seen it in 25 years Hmm. so housing market doesn't look great at least in the in the short run but labor market is still holding up really well so like you we cannot definitively say that we are in on the path to a major slowdown in Canada and recession but there are quite a few signals that are pointing in that direction and then right then you, you add those things up so that part doesn't look good usually that has a close correlation also to inflation sure wages have gone up sure there's a resilience in the labor market but those probably cannot be unaffected by the major developments that are happening in other areas on consumption and and housing. When it comes to the US, it looks better, but also cracks appearing. 
I would probably classify it as there's a time delay to whatever happens in the US to whatever is going on in Canada. So Canada is actually the canary in the coal mine for the world. Mm. So there's there's no better place to look at where how, how things are developing than to look at Canada. Maybe you can toss in Sweden or in Australia and some other countries in that right. bucket too. The, the weak links of the of the globe. But the U.S., right, we're, at least we're seeing a deceleration in inflation that is meaningful. That is a big difference to, to last year. Like the, It has come down way further than we and maybe some others were expecting middle of the year, beginning of, uh, of 2023, end of previous year. So that has gone in, in the right direction. And economic activity was exceptionally strong over the summer months, and it is cooling off a little bit. It is not disastrous, and right. that is probably just it is lagging the moves that we're seeing in Canada. So, if there's one place to look at for weakness, it's uh, it's unfortunately right here at home. But that is the difference to to last year that we're actually starting to see more of those weaknesses as opposed to just expecting that they will come our way. So it is much more tangible right now plus the last interest rate hike being in most likely and then you have a little bit additional yield versus last year so you have right. three things that are in your favor which are making it look i believe more attractive to consider fixed income for portfolios than what it was uh, a year ago Great context, and maybe this will be the the last segment for you. But just to get into some specific ideas, maybe give me say your top three most highly convicted uh, ideas going into twenty twenty four for different segments of the the fixed income market. So I still absolutely love um, Canadian short term corporates, hmm. high quality. That is that was great already a year ago. But continues to be, uh, I think, a really good place to be invested in. This is safe. It is uh, liquid. You have, I think, a reasonably high predictability in terms of returns. So those Canadian one to three year corporates or Canadian short term bonds in general, they have year to date done four and a half percent or four and a quarter percent close to five for the past year, which is actually nothing special. They're just returning what the yield was, right? right? They just stayed where they are and you earn a pretty solid return. But if we consider some of those comments from just a few minutes ago on the Canadian economy and things crack starting to appear, but you actually have the potential to even uh, get some price appreciation in 2024 if those things play out. So you actually could end up getting an exceptionally good year in those Canadian short-term bonds or short-term corporates because default risk is super low and you have the potential for price appreciation if the Bank of Canada were to be forced to the table and start uh, providing some support for the market. And right. it doesn't necessarily have to be the Bank of Canada who actually does it, but the markets usually are a little bit ahead of the game and are trying to force their hand. So there could be some dynamic that comes into that market 
very quickly. So that would be a for the uh, on the safer side. That is a I, I believe a very good option for investors to consider. So Canadian short-term bonds. I do continue to like uh, emerging market local currency. That is that is good. I know it is a little bit out there in terms of uh, maybe not a, a core holding for sure. for most people. I, I get that, and there's always the the risk that some of those countries will end up at the front page of what are Financial Times or Globe and Mail that something is going on in those countries. But the dynamics look good because all of those countries. Oh, not maybe not all of them, but a lot of those countries have done a really good job of hiking rates. They've brought their yields up. They are now in the cutting cycle. And the same logic that I mentioned earlier with once the last interest rate hike is in, fixed income starts to perform well. We can see that same dynamic in those emerging markets. And they're just a little bit further along. And there's a real positive momentum in terms of uh, those fixed income markets. So I could see that continue for quite a bit longer. So that is a overweight position for us. And I think it should be a, a consideration also for uh, for others to, to look at emerging market local currency. Uh, and especially if we think about the, the kryptonite for emerging markets is a strong dollar. And another kryptonite for emerging markets is rising yields in the U.S. And since both of those do not appear base case for us, uh, that puts also a little bit of an extra kicker on that trade. It's not only the domestic situation, which is good, but also the the overall market might not be uh, all too bad for emerging markets either. And last one, uh, I still like inflation-linked bonds. So those are, in Canada, they will be called real return bonds. In the US, they're called TIPS. And what I like here is that the way that they're structured is they have, you get a a fixed coupon. So it's like a regular bond, but it will be less. But on top of that, you get compensated for whatever happens on the inflation side. So it is less of a uh, coupon, but on top of that, you get your compensation for inflation. And those the the level that they those bonds are trading at is very attractive. So they are trading at around two and a quarter percent. They're called real yield. So let's say the the yield of those instruments are two and a quarter percent. But what you get on top of that is inflation. Right. And that is pretty cool. And I would say if you really think about what do you want to achieve with your investments, and I would say if my money grows in the safest asset class that there is in finance by two and a quarter percent every year, real, right? Irrespective of what's happening on inflation. So my living standard is going up. And that is a pretty nice uh, instrument to have to toss into your portfolio. So buying tips or buying real return bonds makes, in my opinion, a lot of sense. If I had to choose, I would prefer tips over real return bonds. Sure. Um, but yeah, I, I like that. That Those are looking really good. And that's 
the pockets of value for 2024, but I think the overall market will do quite a lot better than what it did uh, uh, so far yet today. Great context, Constantine. Appreciate the the three ideas there. I'll also state just on your behalf that we pay you and your team to change your mind. So obviously, as markets change, uh, these things aren't going to necessarily be in play for all of 2024, but they certainly are appropriate uh, now based on your analysis. So Constantine, thanks so much for coming on the podcast, sharing those ideas with us. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Matt. Anytime. content of this podcast, including facts, views, opinions, and recommendations, is not to be used or construed as investment advice and is not an offer or an invitation to buy or sell any security. The content of this podcast should not be relied upon for any purposes and McKenzie Financial Corporation is not responsible for any reliance upon it. This podcast includes forward-looking information that reflects our current expectations or forecasts of future events. Forward-looking information is subject to risks, uncertainties, and assumptions that could cause actual results to differ materially from those expressed herein. Our views are subject to change based on market conditions. Commissions, trailing commissions, management fees, and expenses may be associated with mutual fund investments. Please read the fund facts and prospectus before investing. The indicated rates of returns are historical annual compounded total returns, including changes to unit values and reinvestment of all dividends or distributions and does not take into account sales, redemptions, distribution, or optional charges or income taxes payable by any security holder that would have reduced returns. 